So we are in the book of Deuteronomy at a critical junction for God's people. A time of great change and a time of making choices and taking decisions, like we may face in our lives. And after 40 years of wandering through the desert, the people have arrived at the border of the Promised Land. In the plains of Moab, at the eastern bank of the Jordan Valley, and on the other side awaits the fortified city of Jericho, the city that was the key to the entry into Canaan. And it is also the time Moses, the great and only leader that they had ever known, was about to die. And it is at this point that Moses gives them his farewell speeches to remind them and to challenge them, to warn and to encourage them. Because they need to trust and obey the Lord. Only thus can they move forward. Otherwise, they are stuck in the wilderness. And that is the choice before them. Are we loyal to our overlord? Do we trust the Lord? And that choice requires a decision. Now, earlier we saw that the book of Deuteronomy may be patterned after a treaty between a sovereign overlord and his vassal people. And in such a treaty, the great king offers protection and the people commit to loyalty. And for Israel, it was not Egypt from which they had just escaped, nor the other superpower of the day in the north who was to be their overlord, but it was to be the Lord, Yahweh. And following that treaty part, pattern, we distinguished an introduction in chapter 1, the verses 1 to 5, and then a historical preamble, which runs until chapter 4, which explains how the treaty party parties had gotten to this point and why the treaty is a good idea. And that is then followed by the stipulations, the ratification, and an epilogue. And we also saw that the book consists of three sermons or speeches by Moses. The first one containing the historical preamble. The second one, the stipulations and the ratification in the form of blessings and curses. And the third one containing the somewhat unusual feature of a prophecy about the people in the future not keeping the treaty. And fourthly, there is Moses' epilogue in his summarizing song and blessings. And the last time we looked in more detail at the bookends, holding these three sermons and epilogue of Moses together. Bookends that were written by an unknown narrator. And we heard the narrator tell us that these are the words. That's the Hebrew title of Deuteronomy, the words of Moses. Who, he also tells us, was the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. But he also tells us that Moses received these words directly from God. So the people and we should carefully listen. And then he also told us that Moses could not finish the task of bringing the people into the promised land. Because he had at the waters of Meribah not given the sovereign God the honor due to him. And so he was not allowed to enter. And his work of bringing the people into their rest, remained incomplete, as Joshua would leave it unfinished. And so the narrator points to the need for a greater prophet and saviour, the Lord Jesus. 
And now we will look briefly at the first part of the first sermon, the historical preamble. The section which describes how the people got to this point in their history and explains why they should remain faithful to their overlord, the Lord whom they had made a covenant with at Horeb at Sinai. And I think we can summarize the message of this section as follows. To trust and obey is the choice to live. To trust and obey is the choice to live. And we know three things. First, life's journey demands choices. Secondly, the Lord is faithful, powerful, and just. And thirdly, if we choose to trust and obey him, he will go before us. So then to trust and obey is the choice to live. And that is in the first place that life's journey demands choices. Now at first, the chapters 1 to 3 may appear somewhat superfluous duplicates of histories that Moses had already earlier described in Numbers. Like many of the law rules in Deuteronomy are also given earlier in the Pentateuch. But if you compare them, you will see that different aspects are highlighted. Because in reciting these stories, Moses had a definite specific purpose. And one thing that is very noticeable is that Israel is seen on a journey. Verbs like break camp, advance, go in, go on, go through, reach, set out, cross through, cross over, pass, they're numerous. The people are on a journey. And on that journey they can go forward, as Moses will encourage them to do, or backwards, like they did in chapter 2, verse 1. Because there they had to turn back, back to the Red Sea, where they had escaped the Egyptian army, the very road they had come down. Back into that vast and dreadful desert. That's what it says in chapter 1, verse 19. Back for 40 years. Now the goal of the journey is the promised land and rest, a concept that we will hopefully hear about uh, more later. But even once they, the, once they have entered the promised land, the journey is not over. Geographically maybe, but the journey continues through time. And after reciting the blessings and the curses, Moses in chapters 29 and 30 reflects on what, notwithstanding these dark warnings, will happen in the future. On whether the people, as time progresses, will be able to resist the continued challenges of idolatry of deserting their sovereign. Because that is the other very noticeable thing. The journey demands choices along the way. And the biggest one is the choice, the decision to trust the Lord. That is the whole point of Kadesh Barnea. It is a pivotal story told in, number, in Numbers 13, 14, repeated here, which continues to reverberate throughout the Old Testament. We saw it in Psalm 95 and into the New Testament. We read it in the letter to the Hebrews. The Lord, the sovereign overlord, has given them the promised land. But they must now trust him and go and move forward and take possession of it. That is an oft-repeated refrain throughout the text. 
You see it in chapters 1, verse 8, 21, 39, in chapter 2, verse 31, and again in chapter 3, verse 18 and 20. Now, at Kadesh Barnea, they dithered. They doubted. They deferred to decision. It's like what the politicians do. When you don't dare, delay decision and install a royal study commission. Well, that's what they did. They decided to send the spies. But you see, this maneuver does not allow them to avoid the decision whether or not they should trust the Lord. Because the news comes back. The promised land is exactly as good as the Lord had said. So the Lord's reliability is confirmed. But so is their fear. The land has strong and fortified cities with walls that reach to the skies, they say, and inhabitants like giants, which made them feel like grasshoppers. And you know what? Their assessment was not factually incorrect. Because all that was there, and later when they tried to go in without the support of the Lord, they're beaten back, pursued, as the text vividly describes, as by a swarm bees. And yet, the text qualifies their reaction as grumbling. Grumbling, they sat in their tent, doubting the Lord and not moving forward. And then by default, they move backwards, literally. Twice, it says in chapter 1, verse 40 and 2, verse 1, the text tells us they have to turn around and go back. Because, says Moses, you did not trust the Lord, the very Lord who went ahead of you on your journey. Chapter 1, verse 32. That was the decision they were forced to make at Kadesh Barnea and now again here in the plains of Moab. Do we trust and obey the Lord? Are we willing to act on his promise? Are we willing to go in and take possession of the land given to us? And likewise, on our journey through life, we may need to take the decision, and maybe in difficult circumstances, whether or not to trust and follow the Lord. But then there is the second point. To trust and obey is the choice to live. And the second point is the Lord is faithful, powerful, and just. Now, when you are challenged to trust your overlord, you want to know that he has the power to deliver on his promises and is willing and committed to deliver on his promises, that you can rely on him. And in the next part of the historical prologue, Moses sets out to demonstrate that to them and to us. And by reciting their own recent history leading up to this renewal of the covenant, this treaty that they have with their Lord, Moses demonstrates that the Lord is faithful, powerful, and just. Now, the story describes five encounters with Edom, Moab, Ammon, and the two kingdoms of Sihon and Doch. And we read two of these stories. Five nations that lived along the major trading route north on the eastern side of the Jordan Valley, which in itself was difficult to traverse. And after the people, finally, 40 years late, leave the desert and turn north on their journey to the plains of Moab, opposite the entry to the promised land. 
they meet these five challenges. Now each and every historical report selects from an infinite number of facts and aspects that together form the event, those that are relevant for the purpose and the objective of the history writer. That is unavoidable. And Moses is no exception. And you may want to trace the differences with numbers and ask yourselves why. We have tonight no time to analyze them in detail, but note two of the things that Moses here seems to focus on. First, for each of Edom, Moab, and Ammon, in chapter 2, the verses 5, 9, and 19, the Israelites are told they are not to harass these people. For, it is repeated three times, I will not give you any part of their land. I have given it to them for possession. And so the implied message is clear. I promised these people these lands, and I am still standing behind the promise, and I will not let you take this land away from them. But also, I promised you also a land. However, you did not trust me. But I am reliable, and I am faithful to what I promise. And secondly, there are in the text all these people with the funny names, the Rephites, the Emites, the Anakites, and the Zemzumites. Now, what is their relevance in the historical prologue which tries to convince Israel to trust the Lord? Well, they were all people of large stature, giants. And, says the text, these people were driven out by your kinsmen people, whom I gave these lands. You refused to go in and take possession of the land that I gave you because you were afraid of the giants. You did not trust me. But now look at these people. They defeated the giants. Or more precisely, as it says in chapter 2, verse 21, the Lord destroyed them before the Ammonites who drove them out and settled in their place. The Lord had done the same for the descendants of Esau, Edom. And then there are the two other stories of the kingdoms of Sihon and Og. Amorites, like the ones who had beaten them back at Kadesh Barnea. And here for the Israelite is the repeated instruction. We read it in chapter 2, verse 24, 31, and 3, verse 2, to take possession of their lands, like the instruction had been at Kadesh Barnea. And here also there are two features occurring in both stories which are worth noting. First, there is the need about deliverance by the Lord. It is repeated five or six times to get it between their ears. About Sion in 2 verse 30, the Lord hardened their hearts like the Pharaoh in order to deliver them into their hands. Verse 31, I have begun to deliver them over to you. Verse 33, the Lord delivered them over to you. Verse 36, the Lord gave them all over to us. And then about Och in 3 verse 2, I have handed him over to you. And in verse 3, the Lord also gave Och. And then secondly, the stories mention repeatedly the cities of the kingdom. Sixty of them, strong, fortified, with high walls and gates and bars. Now why? And then it mentions the size of Och's bed. Or maybe the word means his coffin, two four meters. 
Now, what is the relevance of the size of the man's bed? Now, here again, there is the warning against the lack of trust at Kadesh Barnea. There the Israelites had feared the giants. But here the giant king is defeated and dead. And there they fought that they could not take the cities. But here the Lord has delivered them into their hands. So the historical narratives of Deuteronomy are not a superfluous repetition. The whole point of them here in the overall structure of the book of Deuteronomy, following the pattern of the team, is to drive home the fact that their overlord, their king, the one whom they had made a covenant with at Horeb, and which they were now, which they were now to reaffirm, is faithful and powerful. He can and will deliver on his promises. And they can and should trust him as they are about to continue their journey into the new and possibly dangerous territory of the promised land. And that is the encouragement. But then there is also another element stressed in these stories. And that is that the Lord is also just. Briefly, and again just two things. First, the generation at which Kadesh Barnea was, the, the generation which at Kadesh Barnea was disloyal to their overlord and did not trust the Lord to be faithful and powerful. They did not act on his promise. They grumbled. And so they stumbled. Because grumbling, grumbling, grumbling leads to stumbling, stumbling, stumbling. Now the Lord had gone before them through that vast and dreadful desert. And they had seen it, manna, water, the pillar of cloud, cloud, and their clothes not wearing out. They had seen it all, says in chapter 1, verse 29 to 33. But nevertheless, their 12-day journey had become a 40 years death march. And the finish line they could not cross, and the promised land they would not enter. Chapter 1, verse 34 to 35. And then secondly, also concerning Moses himself. There was the lesson that the sovereign needs to be given due honor. It must have pained him immensely. And I think you can hear the anguish in his pleading. Four or five times this tragedy is brought up in these farewell words in Deuteronomy alone. But also Moses is not allowed to enter. He will see it, but not set foot in it. His works remain unfinished, and it is the Lord who will have to complete it. And later in the book of Deuteronomy, that is, in the ratification in the sealing section of the covenant of the treaty, a large section on the blessings, if they are loyal to the Lord, the King, and the curses, if they do not trust him. Well, later through their history, they will find out. But now they have already experienced it. The Lord is reliable, and what he says, he does. He is just. He delivers on both sides of the promises. And that is also the warning. And then briefly and lastly, the conclusion. To trust and obey is the choice to live. Because if we do trust him, he will go before us. We saw that on that journey through the desert, 
and our journey through life, if you will. On their way to their final destination, the promised land, the people had to make choices. They had to decide to trust the Lord, obey him, recognize him as the one who would deliver them, to live with and for him in the covenant they had with him. Now, the challenges were very real, and the difficulties indeed great, and enmity was all around. And the dreadful deserts and the strong cities and the large giants were not imagined. But will they in these circumstances remain loyal to the sovereign and trust the Lord and act on his promise? And to help them in this choice, Moses gives them in the historical prologue to the treaty, in the lessons they could learn from their history, the building blocks, the arguments to indeed trust the Lord. And in the narratives, he shows them that the Lord is faithful, that he is powerful and that he is just. And therefore, they can and should make the choice to trust and obey him. Now, Moses will bring the histories, the lessons in the chapters one to three to their unavoidable, inescapable and compelling conclusion in chapter four. When in his last and urgent appeal, he tells them, now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land of the Lord, the God of your ancestors that he is giving you. I may be dying, but you need to stick closely to your covenant Lord. And Lord willing, and next time we will maybe hear more about that. But already in this section, there are hints and encouragements and exhortations that if you trust and obey him, the Lord will go before you. Because the Lord always honors his promises. And in this section, we already saw it in chapter 1, verse 8. There is the reminder that the Lord promised Abraham four and a half century ago that his descendants would inherit the land. And now here they are at the border, ready to enter. And in the next section that we didn't read, the Lord confirms that the Lord can be trusted. Because he promised a childless Abraham descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky. And in chapter 1, verse 10, it states that that is precisely what had happened. And then in chapter 2, verse 36, the Lord confirms that Caleb, the one who had trusted the Lord at Kadesh Barnea, will enter the land. And in chapter 3, in the verses 12 to 20, it is reported that part of that promise was already fulfilled for the tribes of God, Reuben, and half of Manasseh, east of the Jordan. And the final conclusion of this section, only to be followed by another reminder that Moses is staying behind, is given in chapter 3, the verses 21 to 22. But it says, at that time I commanded Joshua, you have seen with your own eyes all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. Now the Lord will do the, sa the same to all the kingdoms over there where you are going. Do not be afraid. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. You see, that is the point of the first half of the first sermon, the historical prologue to the treaty, the renewal of the covenant. If you trust in him, the Lord will fight for you. And so, as Moses himself has to stay behind, we hear him urgently appeal to the people of Israel to hold on to the Lord of the covenant 
to choose to follow him as they are to enter a new, exciting, uncertain, and possibly difficult phase of their life. And through the book of Deuteronomy, that is still the message for us today. That appeal to trust the Lord, to choose life, continues through history. Whatever the difficult and dark situations are that we may encounter, we need to trust the Lord, then he will go before us. And then the time to choose is now. Now, today, next, at that point in time, we hear Moses repeating it in Deuteronomy 2, verse 2, verse 13, verse 18, verse 24, verse 31, and in 3, verse 1. Because the time for decisions about trusting the Lord is not tomorrow, later, at the more convenient moment, when we are older, wiser, or maybe simply close to death. But it is now, in the challenges we face on our journey through life today. That is the call here in Deuteronomy. And these are the words which continues throughout the Bible. In Psalm 95, attributed to David another 400 years later, and they still echo through the chapters 3 and 4 in the letter to the Hebrews a thousand years later. And these words still stand today, 3,000 years later. Today, 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 if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Choose to trust and obey him in the difficult decisions during your journey through this life. For the promise of entering his rest still stands. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this promise, this promise to your people so long ago that they might enter the promised land and the promise to us that also we may enter your rest. A rest that already starts in this life when we trust and obey you and may go through life at your hand and that will continue after this life. And Father, we thank you for the encouragement you give us in this story. And we pray that we always may understand, whatever the difficulties are in our life, that you will go before us if we trust and obey in you, if we rely on you and hold on to your promise. We ask this not because we deserve it, but because of the Lord Jesus. Amen.